when you have hope, absolutely anything is possible. And that's what we're going to be talking about uh, these weeks when we talk about uh, unleashing hope in our church and in our community. Now, a little bit later in the message, I'm going to need some help. And um, about uh, three months ago, uh, I gave up Diet Coke. Uh, yeah, yeah, thanks, Mom. Yeah, appreciate that. Uh, but, um, and so I can't drink this, but I, I need someone to volunteer to drink this for me. Are there any volunteers? Not you, Carrie. You had it in the first service. Jill? Okay, you have to drink it like in the next 15 minutes. Can you do that? It's still cold. Okay, good, good. Yeah, don't crush it, though. Yeah. No, it's, it's good. That's, that's still cold. It's good. I just can't drink it. I, but I need that in my sermon a little bit later. So thank you for doing that. So um, uh, I also wanted to mention one other thing that's very exciting. On Sunday, May the 8th, May the 11th, is Mother's Day. And we want to invite all the moms back for church. We're going to have a special gift for you. But uh, something else special is happening that day. We're going to have a service of baptism. And we've done it at different venues. We've done it at Jim and Diana's pool. Uh, we've done it uh, out in the swimming pool out front. But now we have something very special. Uh, because of the children's ministry department's generosity, they are purchasing a brand new portable baptistry. And we're going to have it for Mother's Day. Be right up here, and it'll be awesome. It'll be heated, so those of you who are worried about that. And, uh, you know, bring your galoshes in case it leaks or something. But it's going to be awesome, and it looks like a piece of furniture. It's beautiful, and we're very excited to have that. So on uh, Mother's Day, we're going to have baptisms. Both services, we're going to have a baptism service. If you're interested in baptism and following the Lord in baptism, uh, just put that on your Connect card, and uh, I'll contact you this week and tell you we'll get together and talk about it, and then uh, get ready for Mother's Day, a wonderful time of celebration. So very excited about that, and I hope that uh, those of you who would like to be baptized, uh, you will uh, follow the Lord in that. Would you uh, join me in a prayer as we prepare to open the Word of God? Father, uh, this is the greatest joy that we have, and that is to open your Word and to allow it to speak to us. We, we pray, Father, that as we do look at this word today, that you would be very near us, that your spirit would move among us, and that the word of God would take root deep within our souls. Uh, Father, I thank you for the privilege of uh, proclaiming the good word of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that these words today would uh, touch us in a very deep place. Now may the uh, words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So we are beginning 50 days of unleashing hope. And here's my desire for this series. Beginning today and ending in seven Sundays from today, it'll be a total of 50 days. My desire is that each and every one of us will raise our HQ. Now, we all have IQs, right? Intelligent quotient. I'm, des I'm de de desiring for each of us that we will raise our HQ, our hope quotient, that we will be people of hope. That we and remember, hope is not something, uh, in the Bible, the word is very different. The word hope in the Bible is not about a wish or sure, I just hope something's going to happen. It's the absolute faith and confidence that what God promised, He will do. And when you believe that with all your heart, it changes everything. People without hope are people that are discouraged. And um, in fact, one of the things that I do for our denomination, for our conference, is I meet uh, regularly uh, with young uh, pastors who were um, going through seminary and getting prepared for the ministry. And it's, I love doing that with our own staff, with, with, uh, with Brandon and with Ryan. But I do this with other uh, uh, future covenant pastors throughout the Phoenix area and Tucson area. So one of the things that I've determined that they need more than anything else is encouragement. Everyone needs to be encouraged. I'll tell you what, for pastors, uh, going through seminary, starting your ministry, and then a lifelong ministry, did you know that only 80% uh, of pastors who begin in ministry do not finish their careers in, in ministry? They, only 20% of them finish their, ministry, their careers in ministry. The rest leave. And the reason they leave is because of discouragement. We live in a society where there is a great amount of discouragement for all of us. And what we want to do is get you to get past that discouragement and to cling to and rely on the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. 
This is a, a very poignant and gripping definition of discouragement we get from Howard Hendricks. Here's what he says. Discouragement is the anesthetic the devil uses as a person just bef- uses on a person just before he reaches in and carves out his heart. It's discouragement. Discouragement is the anesthetic the devil uses on a person just before he reaches in and carves out his heart. On Sunday, last Sunday after the Easter service, one of the men that I talked to that was new to us, I didn't know him, the first time to our church was at Easter, and he was there by himself, and I asked him, he, he, he had prayed to receive Christ, so I was talking to him about that, but I said, how, how can I pray for you? And he said, uh, my wife has left me, she's taken the children, and uh, I, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. He said, the thing that I need more than anything is hope. And I just don't have any. I don't have hope for tomorrow. I don't have hope for a year from now. I have no hope. In the last um, several weeks, there have been two families that are associated with our church, not right in our church, but associated with our church, where two 12-year-old girls have been cutting themselves. And uh, the parents, as I've talked to the parents and grandparents, the same message is the same. How can we have hope that our kids are going to be okay? Our teenagers are precious. They, you know, 12 years ago, there was these precious little babies, and they were perfect. And now they have so little hope, and they're so discouraged. A 12-year-old, so discouraged with life that they're cutting themselves? Where are we going to find hope? That's what we're going to do for the next 50 days. We're going to take you on a journey of hope. And part of that journey is going to be um, kind of uh, one step at a time. Right? I mean, we've, one of the themes of our church is that um, anybody that comes here for the first time, we're asking you to do one thing. We don't ask you to buy everything we believe and, and uh, you know, sign off on all the things that Christians sign off on. But here's what we're asking you to do. What does it mean for you to take one step closer to God? That's all. That's the only thing we ask you to do. What does it mean for you, whether you're an atheist or a fully devoted follower of Christ, what does it mean for you to take one step closer to God? We want to help every one of you take one step closer to hope, living a life of hopefulness, a life of encouragement. And uh, we believe that God will provide that through this, uh, this sermon series. So Gallup Poll uh, once did a study on things that people experienced that had, were encouraged and confident and had hope. And this is what they discovered, and these things will pop up throughout the sermon series, these different things. But if you have hope and confidence, it creates 11 major differences in your life, okay? See if any of these things ring true. You'll be more successful if you have hope and confidence. You'll feel more satisfied. You'll be more compassionate. You'll be more willing to help people who are in need. You'll be physically healthier. If you have hope and confidence, you'll be physically healthier. People that have hope and confidence hold themselves to higher moral and ethical standards. Those people also are more likely to assume leadership. They have more satisfying relationships. They're more productive. They're less affected by stress. And the last thing that people with confidence and hope have, they're more likely to see God as loving, caring, and forgiving. That's why as a church, along with about 70 other churches, many of them covenant churches, throughout the United States are going on a journey, 50 days of unleashing hope. Psalm 31:24 says it this way, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. And remember, hope is, again is not uh, something that you wish for. Hope is the confidence that what God has said, He will do in your life. Hope changes everything. Discouragement destroys everything. This study uh, for these seven weeks is intended to start a ripple effect in your life. Uh, Small things can make dramatic differences in your life as you build one upon the other. Becoming a person of hope and defeating discouragement, we're going to help you do that by building into your lives seven hope factors. And each one of these we'll do each week. The first one today and through the seven weeks. We want to build seven hope factors into your life. Build one upon the other. When you come out of this after 50 days of spiritual growth, your life will be changed. Here's the first thing. This is kind of a roadmap of where we're going for seven weeks. The first week, that's today, recharge your batteries. Nobody does well running on empty. Nobody. Week number two, 
raise your expectations. Life in Christ can be far greater than anything you've ever known. Week number three, refocus on the future. Concentrate on on what you can become. Discouraged people are constantly focusing on what is in the past. People that have hope are constantly focusing on the future, what's going to happen there. We do this as believers, don't we? We tend to focus too much on the things of the past. Here's kind of what the Bible talks about when it talks about this perspective. Uh, keep, keep the past in your rearview mirror. Use it for a reference point. Make sure you're on the right track, right? Use it as a reference point. But make sure that hope, make sure your future is the whole windshield, Right? We want to focus on the future and just use the past as a reference. Discouraged people do that just the opposite. So the fourth week is this. Play to your strengths. Be yourself. Everyone else is taken, right? Okay. Week number five. Refuse to go it alone. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Okay, I just aged myself there, some of you. Who's Lone Ranger? Well, look it up. Uh, Week number six. Replace burnout with balance. Now, for some of you are going, oh, he just went from preaching to nagging, you know, so replace burnout with balance. You need margin in your life. You need space in which financially, emotionally, physically, spiritually, recreationally, you need margin in your life. Variety refreshes, restores, and re-energizes. Replace burnout with balance. And finally, the seventh week, run a great defense. Learn to respond to bad news in healthy ways. These seven hope factors, raising these seven factors in your life, your HQ, will raise your hope quotient, which creates fresh vision and unleashes a new future. And that's what we all want, is this new dynamic future, this vision that God has for us. So that's where we're going. It's going to be amazing. Thank you for being here on the first Sunday. I hope you don't miss a Sunday. By the way, you need to buy your hope quotient packets afterwards. If you don't have one, if you don't have 20 bucks, just tell them you're scholarshiped that I said you are, and just pick one up and take it home. We want everyone to have a hope quotient packet. So hope factor number one, recharge your batteries. You'll never make it if you run on empty. St. Ignatius of Loyola, a 16th century Jesuit priest, came up with this idea of um, kind of examining, he uses the word examine, examining your interior life. And uh, some, in fact, some of our small groups in our church have used the examine, but part of the examine he described was this. At the end of the day, you need to look into your life and look at the things in your life that, um, what was it that, that depleted you during your day? What was it that discouraged you? What was it that, that emptied your tank during the day? And then conversely, look at the other side of that. What is it in your day today that filled you up, that completed you, that filled your tank, that made you encouraged. And St. Ignatius said, what, I, what you should do, every Christ follower should do, is focus on those things that fill you up. Focus on the things that give you life, that give you energy. Focus on those things. But too many people focus on the things that deplete them. And they say, oh man, I'm depleted by this. Every Sunday afternoon, you can ask Sherry this, When I go home, I am physically, emotionally, and spiritually depleted. I can just barely change channels during football season. (laughs) Somehow I manage, but, you know, just barely. I'm completely, and I have to figure out, and I've been, we've been talking about this series, I feel, what is it that that re-energizes me, that fills up my tank so that when I come into the office on Tuesday morning, I'm ready to give 100%. We have to focus on those things that complete us, those things that fill us. But too many people focus on the things that deplete us. So let me give you some warnings, right? This is, we'll do this real quickly. Uh, what are the things in your life that kill your passion for life? What are the things that squeeze the life out of you that literally it becomes a passion killer? Well, there's several things that the Bible mentions, and we'll just go through these quickly. Passion killer number one, you can put this down in your notes, is this. Unhealthy people. If you hang out with unhealthy people, that is a passion killer. Now, you've heard us talk about before about 
EGRs. EGRs are people that are extra grace required people, right? We all know those people. Now, if you're in a room uh, and you don't know who the EGR is, it's probably you. So, uh, you, you know, don't make fun of them. We love them all and we may be part of them. And, but the idea is that EGRs are depleting. They kind of sap the strength out of you. They're needy and they're wanting and they're constantly complaining and they're critical. And those kinds of people, now you still want to minister to them, you still want to love them, but you need to be around people that fill you up, people that help you to grow. So we need to do the best we can to love them, but our primary relationships have to be with people who build you up. This especially goes for our teenagers. You know, the, the, uh, I just read this last week, a poll that was done. There are two main factors whether or not kids take drugs. The first is how strong do the parents speak against it? 80% of kids that have a strong message in the home that this is unacceptable, 80% of the kids never get into drugs, okay? But here's another factor. The other factor that's just as powerful as the parents saying no are who are your friends? Who are your friends? Do your friends have the same values? Do the parents have the same values? Do they have a spiritual life? Do they have a moral center? Do they have a true north? Do they have all of these things? Because no matter how strong your family is at home, if you have friends that bring you down, they will bring you down. You know how hard it is? If I stood on this chair over here and I asked you and you came next to me, how hard would it be for me to pull you off of the ground up into the chair that I was standing? It'd be very hard, wouldn't it? It's called gravity, okay? Very hard. But if you were standing on the floor, you wanted to pull me down, you could do that pretty easily. That's what happens in our lives. If we have people that pull us down, that happens pretty easily. But to pull somebody else up, that's more difficult. We make, to make sure one of the biggest passion killers is unhealthy people. Make sure your primary relationships are people who have the same values and the same spiritual life that you do. Primary relationships. Passion, uh, passion killer number two, unkind critics. I tell our leadership all the time, staff and elders and other leaders, I tell them this, in public, I want you to be the number one fan of Hope Covenant Church. Everything we do, everything we talk about, you're the number one fan of Hope Covenant Church. But in private, you can have this humble, crit that with, the, with the humility, you can come with any criticism in private. We believe that criticism cripples people. Now, you can do it in a healthy way, a godly way, a, a constructive way. We all know what that feels like. But most criticism does not come in that package. Most criticism, some of you think that you have the spiritual gift of criticism. That's not a spiritual gift, okay? It's not, okay? That cripples people when it's not done in a godly way. Here's what Billy Graham says about criticism, about unkind critics. Listening to your critics is like bobbing for apples in a vat of acid, okay? That's Billy Graham. Be very careful. A passion killer, unkind, unfair critics. Passion killer number three, an unbalanced schedule. You know, there's a reason that God gave us the Sabbath. He knew that we needed to rest. And too many people feel like somehow they're virtuous if they're going 100 miles an hour with their hair on fire. There's no virtue in that. We need to have a balanced schedule and a passion killer every time is someone just going like crazy. Here's a great quote. If you're burning the candle on both ends, you're not as bright as you think you are. Okay, I like that quote. We'll talk about a whole, a whole uh, sermon on that in week number six. Passion killer number four, unnecessary guilt. Two parts to this, unconfessed sin and unreceived grace. Some people are walking around discouraged and without hope because they're hiding unconfessed sin. They're keeping it in the shadows. They're afraid to tell somebody that they have a problem with porn. They're afraid to tell somebody that they have a closet problem with drinking or with gossip, or with something else. And they keep this, this secret sin inside of them, and that completely destroys their outlook and their way of looking at the world with hope. And they are discouraged, discouraged, discouraged. Unconfessed sin. But another part of this unnecessary guilt is unreceived grace. People who, from their past, they've sinned in the past. We all have. We're all in the same boat. They've broken people's hearts. They've hurt people in the past. We're all in the same boat in that. But people that won't forgive themselves. And they're saying to themselves basically something like this. My sin is bigger 
than the cross of Jesus. You know? In fact, uh, one of my favorite authors, Watchman Nee, a Chinese theologian in normal Christian life, said it this way. He said, how dare you presume that your sin is greater than the blood of Jesus? <laughs> how dare you presume that something you did 10 minutes ago or 10 years ago was so big and so awful that it's not covered by the blood of Jesus? Be very careful. This is a passion killer, unnecessary guilt, either unconfessed sin or unreceived grace. God says, I forgive you. I wash your life in the blood of the Lamb. Now live like it. Passion killer number four, unnecessary guilt. And the last one is this. Passion killer number five, underestimating the impact of exposure. Now I'm talking, I'm not talking about photography. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, those kind of things. But what I am saying is this. What you think about, what we think about, determines who we will become. Let me say that again. What we think about will determine who we become. John Ortberg, one of my favorite authors, said it this way. Your mind will think most about whatever you most expose it to. Your mind will think most about whatever you most expose it to. Events you attend, materials you read, music you listen to, television you watch. Ultimately, all of these things shape your actions, your character, and your destiny. Do not underestimate the impact of exposure and examine your life in that regard. I remember when I was in high school, in fact, I was 15 years old, and um, there was a first time, this is in the early 60s, the first time a, a commercial of this sort was on national television. It was a Playtex Brazier commercial. And had a woman in a brassiere on the television. I'm 15 years old. I'm standing there with my mouth open. My mother's sprinting for the television to turn it off. And I'm saying, no, 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 don't turn it off. <laughs> commercials are important. You know, 15-year-olds need to see commercials. And, and, but can you, can you, how funny that is today? Do you know how uncommon that is because it's not titillating? Because it's not exciting anymore? You know how weird that is? We are so exposed to all of this thing in our life that we don't even feel it anymore. Here's what Paul said in Philippians 4. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Passion killer number five, underestimating the impact of exposure. So these are the five passion killers and these things will leave you empty. Now, uh, Jill, come on up here. That can. Okay. Is it empty? It's empty. See, Carrie, that's how you're supposed to. Carrie had to chug hers because I told her, thank you very much. You can go back to your seat. You did a very good job. Okay. <laughs> these two cans of Diet Coke um, are, were made in the same plant uh, at the same time. They were in the same lot. They were in the same... Uh, a case, the same truck that brought them to the same store, and we picked them up from that store and brought them here to put in my refrigerator at church. Okay, so these are exactly the same, but here's the difference. Look at this one. I just crushed that like a, like a gnat, okay? Now look at this one. I'm a strong guy. I'm strong, and with all my strength. Now, some of you are thinking, now he's going to pop that. I'm not that strong, okay? <laughs> it's as strong as I can. I can't, I can't do anything with that, okay? Now, what's the difference? <laughs> okay, yes, my right hand's stronger. I still can't do it. What's the difference? Yeah, one's full and one's empty. Thank you, Sherry. Don't let me have that later, by the way. Okay, I got to stay off that step. One's full and one's empty. When you come to pressures and difficulties and problems in your life, if you are empty, you will be crushed because you have no inner strength, no inner resources. But if you are full spiritually, emotionally, you're filled with hope and encouragement, and you see life as a, God's given you a vision for your life and what you're going to do, if you, and you'll be so full that when, when pressures come along and difficulties come along, no matter how difficult they are, you'll be able to withstand it because you will have that inner strength. During World War II, you know me, I love uh, history. World War II... The German field marshal, uh, Erwin Rommel, was known as Desert Fox. You're in the first service. That's not fair. Uh, Desert Fox. You knew it anyway, right? Okay. Uh, Desert Fox practically drove the British out of North Africa. 
These Nazis tore across North Africa and just destroying everything in their path. But something happened in the fall of 1941. Rommel was forced to retreat almost to the original position. You know why? He ran out of gas. The supply lines didn't keep up with his destructive pathway across North Africa. He ran out of gas. They ran out of fuel. They had to back up. They ceded all of that territory that they had gained back to the British. And that's going to happen to you too. If you get ahead of your supply line, if you get out there with your hair on fire and you're doing stuff and you're doing all of this stuff, but you don't have the inner strength spiritually and emotionally, you will become discouraged and defeated and you will retreat and retreat and retreat until you find some source of fuel and battery recharging. We have to stay encouraged. We have to keep our batteries charged. And it requires that each and every one of us stays emotionally and spiritually fueled. So for the remaining part of our time, I want to share with you briefly some supply lines. These are things that if you keep hooked up to your life, it will change everything. You will be a person of hope. You will raise your HQ, your hope quotient, higher and higher until you will face life with a spirit of encouragement and joy and possibility. And you'll be absolutely convinced that what God has promised in his word about you and about your future will come to true. That's the hope quotient. And let me share with you just quickly these supply lines that will keep you fueled. Supply line number one, invest in your own spiritual growth. Invest in your own spiritual growth. Um, a few years ago, Willow Creek did a study on what was it that caused people to grow spiritually. And they, did, they, they, they found out that it wasn't the kind of church or the kind of teaching, that the people that grew spiritually were the people that took responsibility for their own spiritual growth. People that just come once a week and listen to a sermon, you're not taking responsibility for your spiritual growth. You're making me responsible for your spiritual growth. I can't do that in 35 minutes, much as hard as I try. But people take responsibility for their own For the next 50 days, we're going to challenge you one day at a time through devotions, small groups, sermons, uh, memory verses. All, we are going to give you every resource you need to have your own spiritual life come alive and be awake. Now, it's up to you whether you do that. I am praying, I've been praying this for weeks, that every one of you will take the challenge, that not one of you will be left behind. Not one of you will find that you're way ahead of your, your supply line and you're just not getting fueled and your batteries are not charged. We need to take personal responsibility for our spiritual growth. Guess what Jesus did? He did that. He was the Son of God. He was God in the, in the form of flesh and he still recognized, listen to this, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed, Mark 1.35. Luke 6.12, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If the Son of God, the creator of the universe, needed to get away and be with God, what do you think you should do? You need to take personal responsibility for your spiritual growth. Yes, Hope Covenant Church will do everything in our power to give you resources, to give you help. I'll remind you every week the same thing, and that's read your Bible, and we'll do all that we can do. But we cannot make you grow spiritually. You have to take personal responsibility for that. And we want to invite you to the next 50 days to do exactly that. I talked to a, a man just a couple of weeks ago. He and his family used to be part of our church, but... Kids' sports and other things got in the way. They drifted away, and now they don't go to church anywhere. Well, a crisis came in his life. He called me, and we got together, and he said, and, this, and I'll quote because I don't want to get this right. He said, when I stopped investing in my spiritual life, my life went to hell, and so now are my kids. Now, this is a young man who has teenage kids, and he is dying inside, and he recognizes. I didn't say that to him. He said that about himself. He recognizes the choice he made five years ago to stop investing in his life spiritually and in church. The choice he made then is reaping tremendously negative, dis disappointing uh, you know, stuff now. It is so hard for him to even talk about it, but he recognizes he made that choice. Make a choice today. For the next 50 days, you're going to invest in your spiritual life. 
Isaiah 40, 31. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And that brings us to supply line number two. Do not underestimate the power of worship. Do not underestimate the power of worship. Worship is so powerful that every seven days God says, okay, here's a prescription for your life to work. Take a day off and do this. And when I say do this, I'm talking about doing church, right? We come here to worship God, and worship is not just singing. Okay, don't ever think that. That's not Worship is the experience, the corporate experience that we have together of raising our voices and our hearts to the Father and saying, you matter to me, and I know that I matter to you. That comes through the sermon, that comes through the music, that comes through the worship, that comes through the prayers. All of that corporately is worship. And here's the good news. God says, this is my prescription for you to stay charged up, filled up. You need this. You need this. You know, I've said to you many times, I know that you need church, but you probably don't know it in the same level that I do. And that's why I cannot, when Sherry and I go on vacation, we cannot not go to church. And it's not something because we're religious or virtuous. We're not. We go because we can't stay away from God's people and His worship for more than a week under any circumstances. We will go, we'll drive 50 miles to go and visit a church and we're seeing our kids or our grandkids or wherever we are, we will find a way to worship God. This matters so much because worship, authentic worship, renews your strength. It reconnects you to God, it restores your joy, it releases anxiety, and it rekindles hope. Worship matters. And here's the good news. I get to do this twice. Now, I give you, Sherry and I, and Mike Pulley and a couple others, those who serve worship team, a light, you know, PowerPoint, those guys all have to sit through two services. But you know what? Even if I didn't have to, I'd be like Mike Pulley. I'd be here for both services. Why? Because where else can you be with God's people and for an hour worship the Lord? This matters. This is so amazing. I don't know how you go without it for a week. I really don't. Some of you that say, well, I don't know if I want to go to church today. Are you kidding? We get to go and be in the presence of God and lift our voices and our hearts to the Lord and say, you matter to me. And I'm reminding myself that I can't live and I certainly can't have hope without authentic worship. Again, history. The early days of aviation were filled with firsts, as you would expect. Turn of the century, turn of the 20th century. So right before World War I, a man attempted to fly around the globe. Uh, now, he made it to the East Coast. He landed in a pasture. They brought a truck over with some gas. They fueled him up, and they took off for his uh, several-hour flight across the Atlantic to the next place where he could land. Two hours into his flight, he heard a scratching, kind of gnawing sound inside the plane. The pilot realized that while he was on the ground... <laughs> A rat had crawled up and it was now gnawing on the steering cable. If it snapped, he was toast. He would fall in the Atlantic and never be seen again. With no way to fly quickly, he didn't know what he was going to do. And then he had a life-saving thought. Rats are made to live on the ground, not in the sky. So he pulled the nose up of his plane and he climbed up another 2,000 feet until the gnawing stopped. And he realized, okay, I finally got high enough to where the rat is dead. And then he landed, when he got across the Atlantic, he landed the plane, sure enough, the rat was dead. By the way, this also works with cats, for those of you who are interested. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, you know, I'm just saying. And, and, and he threw the rat out, and uh, everything worked out great. This is exactly what worship does. The rodents of your life aren't meant to live in the presence of God. Worship take you to, takes you to heights where worry and anxiety and stress and fear wither away and cease to gnaw at your life. Let me ask you, why would you want to live any other way? I mean, it's not about your preference for music. It's not about your preference for preaching. Are we talking about being in the presence of God for 75 minutes and letting God know that He matters above everything else? If you soar in worship, those rats and those rodents will not gnaw away at your life. That's supply line number two. You must experience authentic worship. Supply line number three, unleash the Bible in your life. Unleash the Bible in your life. After Willow Creek did that study in Reveal, 
This is what they came up with as a statement about the importance of God's Word. The Bible is the most powerful catalyst for spiritual growth. After four years of study, now we could have told you that beforehand, right? But it's always nice to have a study to back you up. After four years of study, the Bible is the most powerful catalyst for spiritual growth. Listen to John 1.14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You cannot survive spiritually without God's Word. The Bible is Jesus Christ in written form. It is the sure Word of God. It is the inspired Word of God. And it's what, more than anything else, enables you to grow strong in your faith. When you don't have that strength in you, everything falls apart. You become like that crumpled Diet Coke can when you have the strength of God's Word within you. It gives you hope. As you know, many of you, uh, years ago, our 10-year-old son, Tyler, was killed in an accident. And that next morning, uh, Sherry and I just, uh, I don't think she slept at all. She cried all night, and I slept very little. But in the morning, she woke up, and she was sobbing, and she picked up her Bible. And she basically threw her Bible at me, and she said, you show me where Tyler is right now. I've got to know that he's in heaven. I've got to know that he's okay. You, you show me in that book. If I, that I can trust that, that, that he's okay. And so we looked at 2 Corinthians 5 and 2 Thessalonians 2 and Revelation, many of the Psalms, and we, we just kind of explored God's Word. And, and, it, and the one thing, nothing else gave us comfort. We had hundreds of friends that gave us lots of comfort, and we thank God for them. But the only thing during these days that gave us comfort was the sure and abiding and eternal Word of God. Thus saith the Lord. This is the hope that we have, that what God declares, He will do. Supply line number three, unleash the Bible into your life. Supply line number four, build great relationships. Refuse to go it alone. One of the things that is uh, unique about our church is that we are pretty open about our flaws and our failures, our warts. We're honest, we're transparent. This is not an accident. We believe this is the authentic way to live in community because we believe that if you stay in darkness and you don't tell anybody what you're really feeling and thinking and going through, that uh, that darkness will eat away at you like those rats. And you will be discouraged and you will not have hope. We need each other. We're better together. And again, I want to challenge you. For seven weeks, try it out. If you've never tried a grow group before, a small group before, try it out for seven weeks. Be part of a grow group for 50 days of unleashing hope and see what community does in your life. It will change you. The kind of support we need, we need each other desperately. Ecclesiastes 4.10, the author writes, if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. And then the last supply line is this, supply line number five. Pay attention to whose voice you are listening to. Pay attention to whose voice you are listening to. You can listen to your own voice based on experiences you've had in your life. You can listen to the voice of your friends. You can listen to the voice of your pastor. You can listen to the voice of, of people you work with. But what voice are you listening to? Because it really matters and it really shapes how you think. It really shapes your hope quotient. It really shapes how much hope you have. What voice are you listening to? Some people listen to that inner voice that comes from the Satan, from the enemy, that says, you know what, you're no good. You know, you say you're redeemed, but look at the way you live. Look at the silly things you do. Look at the sinful things you do. And there's that voice kind of gnawing at you that you don't matter to God. You need to listen to the voice of God, the God that says, you are my princess, you are my prince, you are a child of the living God, you are redeemed, you are blessed, you are delivered, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I will always be with you. That's the voice that you need to listen to. What voices are you listening to? I want to close with this story. A young mother took her son to a restaurant, and ahead of time, the little boy asked his mother if he could say grace, and she agreed, even though she knew that her son never did anything quietly. Some of you understand what that's like. 
And so uh, he bowed his head, his mother bowed his head, and he prayed so loud the entire restaurant could hear him. God is good. God is great. Lord, I thank you for the food, and I will thank you even more when mom gets me ice cream for dessert and liberty and justice for all. That was a great prayer. Amen, right? A great prayer. Somebody, I think Drew's prayed that prayer before. I've heard that. And, and so it's just a great prayer, right? But some of the customers laughed, as you would expect. One cranky old woman nearby said loud enough for everyone to hear, kids these days asking God for ice cream. He should be ashamed. Hearing this, the boy burst into tears, asked his mommy, Mommy, did I do something wrong? Is, is God mad at me? As, as she was assuring him that God was not mad at her, a, a kindly older gentleman came over and he kind of knelt down next to the little boy and he winked at him and he said, a son, I happen to know God personally. And I believe that God thinks that your prayer was absolutely terrific. Really? The little boy said. He said, absolutely. The man looked on the cranky woman, kind of pointed her way. He said, you know, too bad she doesn't ask God for ice cream. Little ice cream is good for the soul sometimes. Well, after that, the little boy was, felt better. And at the end of the meal, you know what was coming. Mom bought him the biggest dish of ice cream the store had to offer. And as the waitress sat it down in front of him, without a word, he picked it up and walked over, you know where this is going, to the cranky old woman and said, here, madam, this is for you. A little ice cream is good for the soul. My soul is already good enough. <laughs> the first and most important pathway to hope is to figure out what fuels you and then do that. Because everything on this world runs on fuel. What fuels you? What's your ice cream? What energizes you? Investing in your spiritual growth. Do not underestimate the power of worship. Unleash the Bible in your life. Build great redeeming relationships. And pay attention to whose voice you are listening to. Hope is nearer than you think. Shall we pray? Father, we are so blessed to be your children. Lord, week in and week out on Sundays, I am so amazed at um, how much you want to teach us about what it means to live in this, this broken little kingdom. As big kingdom people, Father, we're constantly trying to figure that out, and I pray in Jesus' name that this 50 days of unleashing hope will do several things in our community of faith. It will unleash hope in our lives personally. It will unleash hope in our community as a body of Christ and, and that, that we would unleash that hope into the greater community in Chandler and Gilbert and Tempe and everywhere else that we live. Father, we desire with all our heart to take the hope that Jesus Christ and what He said and what He declared that we don't have to wish that it's true, but our hope comes with an absolute confidence and faith that what He has said, He will do. Father, may we take good care of our souls. May we feed our souls exactly what it needs. And may we be a changed and transformed community for the kingdom of God. And we pray all of these things in the precious and the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Well, right now we're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings. If you are new to our uh, community of faith here at Hope, uh, we invite you to not take out your wallet, but simply drop in your Connect card. Um, everyone else, we invite you to give generously and sacrificially to the work of Hope Covenant Church and His Kingdom. We uh, have started a kind of a meager little choir and so this morning, we're going um, to sing a song, and it's a song that uh, Laura and I both did in gospel choir. It's a beautiful piece, and um, at the end of it, I would just uh, encourage you guys, I'll invite you to stand and, and join in singing with us too.
stand with us? This morning, as we uh, do our benediction, um, I'm gonna, we're going to read the verse together. That's our first memory verse for this week. Uh, it's from Isaiah 40, 31. So let's read this together. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Go and serve the Lord.